You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. In revenue generating teams, there are many who've ascended to the managerial or executive ranks only to decide they preferred working in the field. Leadership's a challenge with a diverse generational workforce requiring varied types of motivation and leadership styles, technology increasing the rate of change, managers and executives have to master and buyer preferences consistently changing. The reality of leadership is often a case of firefighting or being reactive out of necessity rather than strategically proactive. However, the most successful executives and managers demonstrate a diverse skill set and ability to almost slow things down, focus on the moment and challenge and challenges in front of them while still being able to see around corners. There's an element of courage required to be successful in these roles and a set of disciplines for managing the constant state of change we encounter on a day-to-day basis. Today, we're going to explore these topics and others with Tony Cassio, member of the Value Selling Associates family and an 18-year veteran from Gartner hailing from Chile, Toronto, Canada. Tony's a recognized business transformation leader and leverages a wealth of experience working with global organizations. Tony, thank you very much for taking the time to be on the show today. Thank you, Chad. And Chile is an understatement. (laughs) Has the vortex hitting you guys yet? I I would say we have been suffering through this vortex for the last three days consistently. And we've got (laughs) You know, when, when your chocolate lab doesn't want to go outside and play in the snow, <laughs> you know it's cold. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. All right. So we like to start the, um, each episode with just kind of a question to get a little more familiarity with you as a person rather than professional, kind of just, you know, authenticity and understand you a little bit better. I always like to start with, you know, aside from your day job, what is something that you're passionate about or hobby that you have that some people might be surprised to learn about? Yeah. So um, I've got some of them that keep me busy, obviously, but I'd say the one that right now is most passionate for me is some of the work I do with other business executives in my community as part of the Knights of Malta. And it's, um, you know, it's a religious order, but more importantly than that, it's a group of business executives that get together that really try to help the impoverished in our community. We live in a wonderful metropolitan city in Toronto, 53 different cultures. It's a wonderful ecosystem, but unfortunately we have, we have people on the street. We have people that are hungry. We have people without homes. And we just go around and do good deeds to help those as best as we can. And for me, that's a really fulfilling way to spend my time and energy giving back to my community and to people uh, in my city. So thanks for asking. Yeah, it, it's funny. When I was in Halifax uh, working with a client, uh, we were walking through... If anybody's been to Halifax, there's this, this lovely walking mall area. And we were walking through there one night. It was a little chilly. It wasn't anything. It was too bad. But it was amazing to me to see the number of people that were actually out helping and interacting with those that were less fortunate. In fact, one of the construction worker guys, ran, I watched him run to his truck, get a jacket out, give it to a gentleman on the street, told him just have it. Don't worry about it. If you really want to give it back, I'll get it for me tomorrow, but we don't want you to be cold. And that kind of humanitarian outreach, I hate to say it, is not something that we see as much as we probably should in, in, in America anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't think it's American or Canadian, to be honest with you. I think it's just... We live in a busy world and we live in busy times. And sometimes we just don't take the pause to look around us and our surrounding area and go, hey, I'm pretty fortunate to have what I have. Some people are down on their luck, unfortunately. What can I do to help out? What gesture can I offer? You know, whether it's a jacket, whether it's a cup of coffee, whether it's putting 
uh, a couple of bucks, a spare change and a cup for a guy, whatever it is, um, we can all do our part. So I appreciate you uh, acknowledging that, Chad. Excellent. So, all right. So let's jump into the topic of the day, executive and managerial courage, change management, what it takes to be successful today. So as we were prepping for this, this was kind of one of the topics that you had floated to the surface. And I'm curious why this topic, what is it about this topic that you find uh, that resonates with you? Yeah. So there's a bit of a shift, right? If you look at corporate America, we are financially driven, always have been, always will be, but you're seeing a lot of mission driven companies now. So, you know, the finance and the numbers are what they are, but now there's a mission and a purpose. And this creates lasting values for both the employees that we manage and the clients that we serve. And that's really where managerial courage is starting to surface as a mainstream leadership skill and competency. And so when, when we think about that, so for me, when, when we say mission, I guess just because of what we do, because <laughs> Tony and I work together, just so everybody's aware, because what we do, I, I think it, it sounds to me almost public sector-ish, right? Because we always say if you're selling the public sector, it's not about profit, it's about mission or, or funding. These value changes, you think it's partially because of the generational differences that we're seeing as we get you know, baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, Gen Z, as they're all coming together in the workforce today? Yeah, I think there's definitely part of that, right? And I think what you're seeing is, and we'll talk about it a little bit later on, as you know, but this, this notion of sense of purpose, right? If you're fortunate enough to be a leader and you've got a team of people, just because you have a team of people, that doesn't make you a team, right? We've right. all worked in dysfunctional teams with leadership that perhaps hasn't had a clear sense of purpose, a vision around what we're trying to accomplish. And our teams, more than ever before, and I'm dating myself for a bit, but you know, <laughs> in, in the early years of my career, Chad, my team, we were together for a long time, right? Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. And as a team, we coexisted for that extended period of time. In today's reality, you're a leader and there's going to be constant change that's infused in your team. And what that means is, for that period of time that you're together as a team, how do you really drive value at an individual level for the purpose of meeting the financial goals of the organization, having that mission or purpose of the company? And again, whether it's reduction in packaging, whether it's giving back to the ecosystem, whether it's being more of a socially corporate responsible organization, as leaders, we can't be deaf to that. We can't be mute to that. We have to be aware of it. And we have to have the courage to lead our people down that path. And to your point, you know, the younger generation is very in tune with that. People want to work for a company that's got a strong sense of mission, vision, and purpose, not just incredible quarterly revenue growth and revenue targets quarter over quarter. Well, and that, I mean, that, and I agree with you 100%. And that creates additional challenges. I mean, there's always been the challenge of just, you know, some, some people are better at managing and creating that sense of team and loyalty and, and know, you know, have the, the emotional intelligence, let's say, to, mm -hmm. to connect with the team that they have, right? And to get that loyalty uh, and to do it in an environment that was just focused on or, or primarily focused on financial return is challenging in and of itself. And now you have, all of these people that want that 
bigger intrinsic reward. In fact, it's probably just as important for many today as the financial portion of it. Can I pay my bills and live a good life? But also, am I, am I having some type of intrinsic uh, reward and experience? So I'm curious when you look at the executives today that you work with, is that the, one of the largest challenges for them? Or are there other things in addition to that that they're also struggling with? No, that, that's definitely one of the, the challenges that are taking place. And I, I think what they also struggle with is just when you're a leader, you spend a lot of time managing and measuring your business. You have a set of metrics, you have data, you're reporting up, you're reporting across, you're building bridges, as they say, across the organization. But this coaching of your team is something we talk about a lot, but we don't necessarily invest the time and energy to coach and to coach with a real sense of clarity and purpose around, hey, what's our mindset, right? If you're in a growth-oriented company with a growth mindset, then that's a fantastic place to be. If you're in a company that's struggling, that's in crisis mode, that's a different set of leadership qualities that you're going to have to tap into. If you're in what we call transformation, which to me is a bit of an ambiguous term, but, <laughs> but nonetheless, change management, right? So if, if your company is going through a, a big change, whether that's a merger and acquisition, a, a divestiture, you're creating a new channel partner strategy, you're going into a new market, you're entering a new market, those dynamic changes really impose the managerial courage that's needed to say, okay, now that this is taking place, what can I as a leader do to impact the people that are going to be impacted by it. And more importantly, how do I create clarity? And I think the one thing you and I have talked about before, Chad, is look, great leaders have very clear expectations and they set the right priorities. And if you can have clear expectations and set the right priorities, and they're aligned to the corporate initiatives and business, business issues, as a leader, you're going to be successful. You're going to be authentic. You're going to be real. And I would say a lot of leaders struggle with the engagement of their people. In other words, how do you stay engaged with your team in a way that is relevant, that is visible? How do you use metrics and data to create scorecards that actually track people's progress and success? And you can recognize that. You know, we all celebrate when that new client comes on board and you've got paperwork signed. Hooray, everyone does a high five, <laughs> ring the bell, or whatever we do these days, right? But you and I both know that's the end of that cycle. But as leaders, what can we do during that process, during that evolution, to visibly create success for our people so that they can measure progress, they can measure a sense of accomplishment? I think that's really important. And the last thing I'd say is this whole concept of accountability, right? Managerial courage is all about having accountability as a leader but also being self-aware to say, you know, I need to go out and have what I call accountability meetings. You have to have accountability meetings with your managers, with your directors, with your people, and people need to be self-aware about why are we doing this? How does this impact you? Why are you making a difference? What can we do to help you and support you? If we can create that kind of cadence and we can create that kind of rigor and be authentic about it and be genuine about it, now we're starting to bring our teams together and we create a sense of purpose as a team, but 
we also need to identify the individual personal goals of the person on the team, right? If you care about me and you care about my colleague and you connect us and create interdependency between the two of us, now we're both rowing in the right direction, in the same direction. Now it almost starts to feel like we're a team. <laughs> well, and you say, you know, when you say accountability, executives often struggle to have themselves held accountable. So I can see how I can see how they can do it with their teams, right? Totally understand. We've talked about accountability meetings before, but I, I'm curious, how do the executives, how would you recommend that the executives hold themselves accountable and have that their own coaching, let's say? Yeah. So, so that's a great question. So the way you hold yourself accountable as an executive is, first of all, you've got to go through this discipline, I call it, right? It's a set of disciplines. You've got to do some mindset and planning. And this is the right time of, of year to do it. You're at the beginning of, of a calendar year. You take the time to prioritize what's most important, as we said, right? If I have clear expectations, what are my priorities? You use the data to identify your productivity goals. What are the goals that are going to drive productivity? Not busy, but productivity. And there's a big difference between the two, (laughs) right? It's kind of this outcome-based culture that you and I talk about all the time, right? You can be really busy and do work, but if it's not outcome-based and it doesn't move towards the impact of what you're trying to accomplish, then it's, it's hard to really make any sense of it. The other part about accountability is also having a goal. And the goal has to be something that you can measure, monitor, refine, and adjust. And it's a goal that you as a leader hold yourself accountable to. It's your standard, right? As leaders, people look at our behavior and that determines how we're leading our team forward. It's not what we say, it's how we act, how we behave. So having those goals and being able to articulate them is really important. And then the last one I would say is, I talk about this a lot, relevant, repeat, and rinse, right? So on the best teams that I've ever been on, my leader was, in, was what I call consistently boring, <laughs> right? Chad, he was relevant, he would repeat, and he would rinse. We knew with clarity what we were measured against. We knew with clarity what the leader was reporting up to the organization. And that accountability also creates predictability as a leader. Because as a leader, you want your people to be predictable. You want your people to be solid in knowing exactly what the relevant goals are, the right prioritization, and then creating this mindset, right? This mindset of being very goal-oriented. And when you do that collectively, as a team, as a group of individuals, it percolates up to the leader. And now the leader has the ability to be accountable at the truest level because he's got the back of his people and his people have his back or her back. It's an interesting concept, the, the predictability, right? So I'm a big fan of, of radical transparency, right? No, no secrets. This is exactly what we're here to do. This is, you know, this is what we're going to accomplish. I wonder, have you seen like tactics that managers can use to instill that because what do we see? I mean, oftentimes what we see is organizations that are being, you know, they're fighting fires. Then I heard it last week when I was with a client, Oh, I've got so many fires I'm fighting. I'm, I'm reacting. I don't have the space to 
focus on my leadership or to seek out my own coaching or to be, you know, as consistently transparent or I haven't communicated this change to my team that's happened in the organization. So they're operating under a false set of, you know, goals and objectives or principles. Any easy tactic, well, I shouldn't say easy, any tactics that managers or executives could use to really get to that level of repeatability and predictability? Yeah. I, I think the first one is be honest with yourself about your coaching style. Are you an activity-based coach? Are you coaching against activities and tactics? Are you coaching against objectives and goals? And whatever time you've carved out for yourself for coaching, it's not enough. <laughs> right? That's the first rule, right? It's not enough. And secondly, unfortunately, we don't spend enough time putting coaching in our calendars with our people to talk about the planning. We put a lot of time in the calendar to talk about the review component. Let's review the past. Let's review what didn't work. Let's review that missed forecast. But we need to put time in the calendar to talk about the planning. Let's plan your future success. Let's plan your future outcome. Let's plan about the objections that you've got in front of you right now and how can we overcome them together? How can we take this moment Coaching, if, foster, if you foster a coaching environment, people come to you and they're looking for coaching in the moment. I call it moment of truth. When someone comes to you and asks for coaching because they're humble and they're transparent. So the first thing I'd say is you need to spend more time coaching. Every great leader knows they need to spend more time coaching. And part of that coaching is also skip level reviews. Being mature enough to say, you know what? I want to do skip level reviews. And for those of you that aren't familiar with that concept, that's where... You know, I let my boss talk to my people once a quarter and those people give feedback on my leadership competency and say, here's the skills that Tony has. Here's the skills that Tony needs to develop because here's how I feel or here's how it doesn't impact me positively or here's where I think together we could be better. So coaching is the first one. The second one I would say is problem resolution. Having a clear way that you can communicate and articulate to your team to say, hey, guys, we're gonna have problems. That's the reality of our marketplace. But when we have problems, we're going to systematically analyze the problem. I expect you to come with recommendations on how to resolve the problem, and then we're gonna solution the problem and fix it the first time. Too many times without problem resolution in a leadership's organization, these problems start to ferment. They start to mushroom. Now my problem becomes Chad's problem, becomes Larry's problem, becomes Frank's problem. Now we all share the same problem. The products suck. The pricing is too high. <laughs> it's the wrong time of year, right? We've yeah. all been there. We've all seen it. So having really clear problem resolution helps you address the problem, resolve the situation, and also understand the underlying barrier. Is there something more systemic here? If this problem keeps reoccurring with the same person over and over again, it's a coaching opportunity. It's a training opportunity. It's a mentorship opportunity, perhaps. The last one I would say is communication and vision, right? Does your team know? Do they really know what the vision, strategy, and purpose is? And I always test this, right? I ask the, the VP, tell me what the vision and strategy is of your team and tell me what the goals are and they'll articulate them. And I'll ask them what their communication format is and they'll share that with me. Then I'll go down and talk to the five managers or directors that report to the VP. I'll ask them to tell me what's the vision, what's the goal, what's the purpose. 
inevitably, Chad, I'll get, I'll get a varying degree of consistency, but I'll also get the manager's own interpretation. Sure. And, and, and that's where it's a dangerous area, right? And that's where the relevance, the repeat, and just continue that pattern of repetition of the message and the purpose and the intent celebrate the successes and the progress against the metrics, recognizing and celebrating those moments, not the end result, but the moments creates the right sort of energy and vibe for everyone to feel really good. And that's what managerial courage is all about. Interesting. So then there's the, so the other element that we often see, and, and we all know, I mean, I think executives know they need to set more time around for coaching but, and be more consistent. I mean, I really like those tactics. What I have seen lately, though, is it's always, I don't want to say the first thing to get scheduled over, but it has a tendency to get pushed. So it's, it sets this, um, it sets an expectation with the team that it's, it's important, but not critical, right? Because it gets moved because it isn't one of those foundational pillars of the week or your engagement strategy with your teams. And then, you know, you have the telephone effect. If an executive says this is the vision of a manager, just like you were saying, the manager says that to their team. By the time we get down to the bottom, we often hear radically different things. So I'm curious when, when, when they look at that, why is it, what are things that we can do to help executives that we work with uh, understand how critical that is to our own success? So take our own accountability, right? If I'm in an organization and I need more coaching from my boss, how do I approach that that manager or that executive and say, "Hey, this is this is important. What kind of strategy should we use to say, "Hey, you're not doing enough of this?" Because a lot of people won't proactively go to their boss and say, "Hey, I need something different." Right? There, there's a level of un, of of questioning power there yeah. that some people are uncomfortable with. So if we go the other direction and we say, "All right, the reps are listening to this, or team members are listening," to this, they want to go to their boss and say, "Hey, I want more of this." How could they approach it effectively without, let's say, with the right level of, of emotional intelligence? Yeah. So, so there's definitely some things you can do. And it's a great question, Chad. So I would say the first thing is you, you have to look for ways to bring out the best in people, right? So we can all be guilty of sharing negative feedback on situations and circumstances, but, but the leadership courage to look at positive forces and encourage the small wins is so important. So looking for ways to bring out the best in others is really important. Always searching for that better solution, as I said, right? The reason we don't end up having enough time to coach or that time in coaching gets moved from our calendar is because in our own day-to-day activities, we get caught up with the activity-based situation and circumstances. So If we think of better ways to resolve situations and solutions, as I said before, you'll free up your time to actually go back. And, you know, one of the things that I say is a guiding principle is coaching is perishable. If you don't coach and keep that coaching cadence in your calendar, it's perishable. It expires. It goes bad, just like a a banana or or a fruit that's been left out too long, (laughs) right? And it happens. So you have to coach, right? The other thing is you got to stick to the facts. A lot of times you mentioned it and I mentioned it, right? Emotional intelligence. It's great if you can be a coach and leverage your, your emotional intelligence, but you need to balance that with the facts and use those facts so that you can deliver a clear message that's firm enough 
and is easily understood and people can move on and know exactly what's expected from them. And then I'd say the last thing is, you know, pick your timing, right? Um, make sure your timing is proper because if it's not, it's going to create a challenge. You know, don't come to me Monday at 8 a.m. with a in-the-moment coaching opportunity. <laughs> right? You're just going to set me off for the balance of the week. Right. right? So, you know, pick your time when it is most appropriate to have the dialogue and conversation with the team and use it as an opportunity to infuse energy, to reinforce mindset, to reinvigorate the individuals. And I think that if you do that consistently and you hold on to it, there's other things, you know, there's the empathize with others, manage your weak performers in a way that's effective, right? Because let's face it, we all have teams that have strength and teams that have weakness. So we have to coach accordingly. But the reality is, you know, if you can take a bottom performer and move them up through coaching, your return on investment versus opportunity lost or, or having an open territory is dramatic, right? The compounding effect of bringing a bottom person up in the organization is phenomenal. Not to mention the morale that it's created on the team when we see people going on that journey. Right. Excellent. All right. So let's, uh, let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all guests kind of two standard questions at the end of each interview. The first is simply, if somebody doesn't have a connection to you, if there's no referral, uh, there's no intro, uh, they don't have a way to capture your attention with, you know, because we, we have a shared community, let's say, what's, what do you find to be the most effective way someone who wants to get your attention and get say 15 minutes of your time, most effective ways that it works for you, for someone to pull that off, capture your attention, build credibility and, and get that meeting on your calendar? Yeah, I think for me, it's all about, you know, being authentic. So if someone wants to establish rapport and build trust with me, they need to be authentic in their reason for reaching out and bring me some value add, whether it's a piece of information that validates what I was feeling or thinking about because they did their research. Secondarily, it might be something I wasn't aware of. Hey, did you know? Right. I always find that interesting. I'll tell you what turns me off. I know you didn't ask this question, but I'll tell you what turns me <laughs> off. This week I had someone on LinkedIn reach out to me. Hey, Tony, I would love to reach out with you. Um, I'm, I, I'm always interested in meeting presidents in the Toronto marketplace. Would love to be part of the network. The day after, hey, Tony, thanks for the connection. Um, I have my CEO ready to do a demo on product ABC. Please what? let me Yeah. <laughs> and I see lots of that, Chad, right? I see lots of that. People connecting and then going right into, you know, I got my freemium for you. I've got my demo for you. It's like, right. how do you do that? So anyway, um, sorry, that, that's one that... Well, no, and that's a great point because it's, it's, a, it's an abuse of a tool, in my opinion. It's an abuse of the, the concept behind you know, social networking. You've got no credibility of no right to make that ask. Yeah. Uh, right? So if you want to reach out and connect and, and, and share value, great. Awesome. But when they pull that, and I call it, I mean, it's a, it's a trick or a tactic. It's not even an effective one. When they pull that, it literally... I'm with you 100% turns me off. Like I just, I don't even want to talk to you anymore. I'm not going to look at anything else you send me because it just feels invasive. Yeah. What absolutely is. Right. And, and I think for, for a lot of people, you know, you, you've got to spend a little bit of time doing preparing and planning, know me a little bit, 
show me that you took a little bit of time to get to know me, whether it's personally or professionally, and find a hook, a relevant hook. And I'm, and I'm, I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to chat. Excellent. All right. Um, last question. We call it our acceleration insight. There's one thing you could tell sales, marketing, professional services people, one piece of advice that if they listened, being the caveat, if they listened and internalized it, you believe would help them hit their targets, what would it be and why? Oh, that's a good one. I like that. Um, you know, I, I think honestly, we don't spend enough time and I'm guilty of this as too. We don't spend enough time establishing what I call clear success metrics. Um, and in our, in our value selling world, we call that building personal and business value with our executives. Um, and I think that is overlooked. So I would say if you can set really clear success metrics that you can measure and track progress, with your client or with your prospect, then you're on this journey together. You save a lot of time. There's a lot less ambiguity and you'll know much more quickly if you've got someone qualified in or qualified out. And that's just as important, right? How many people it's now February. How many people have Q4 pipeline that's still in their Q1 <laughs> pipeline that they're still hoping on, right? <laughs> and you and I both know like, Hey, at some point you gotta, you gotta put a bullet in that and that's hard to do. So I think if you have clear success metrics, you get yourself out of that trap and it's just important to, to do that. So that's my sort of little nugget on, on acceleration. Perfect. Tony, if the listeners interested in talking more about this stuff or, or connecting with you without asking to do a demo with the second time out <laughs> of the box, uh, best way to do it, shoot you an email, the website, yeah, you know. Nah, email's cool. And you know, if anyone wants to chat, you can email me at tony.cas as in Sam CIO at valueselling.com. And this has been a total blast, Chad. Yeah, thank you very much for being on the show, Tony. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you. Appreciate the time, especially on a Saturday morning. Awesome. Appreciate it. Cheers. All right, everybody, that does it for this episode. Check us out at b2brevexec.com. You know the drill. Share it with friends, families, coworkers. People you meet on the street. If you like what you hear, do us a favor, drop us a review on iTunes. And until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.